So we're going to be looking at John, 3 John, the letter of 3 John, verses 9 through 15 this morning, but it's a short letter. I'm going to read the whole letter for us. Uh, if you're grabbing a pew Bible tucked in the pew there in front of you, it's on page 1026. This is the letter of 3 John. So John writes this. He says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, <clears throat> excuse me, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and, know that our, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. We come to this second half of this letter if you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about gospel partnership, which is sort of the emphasis of the first half of the letter. This uh, follower of Jesus, Gaius, he was partnering with these stranger brothers so that they could go and do gospel work someplace else. He wanted to be in partnership and ministry with them, and so he was leveraging who he was and what he had so that he could see the, the gospel flourish someplace where he didn't even live amongst a population that he didn't even know. But then we come to the second half of the letter, and you've got... You know, we've got Gaius, who has got a good testimony here, and then you've got Diotrephes, not so good. Uh, I would characterize Diotrephes as a destructive leader. That's what he is. And so the second half of this, ver of this uh, letter, we have John sort of addressing these destructive leaders that can show up in the church, specifically this guy, Diotrephes. I was reading an article this week, just I wanted to look into bad leadership. I wanted to look into destructive leadership. And I looked in there hoping not to see too many traits of myself there. Uh, so just as one caveat is if Av, as we're discussing this, you're like, you know, this sounds a lot like Noah. You are missing the point. I just want you to know that right out of the gate. No, I'm kidding. If that's true, talk to an elder. That's going to be bad news for me. But anyway, I was reading this article called 15 Ways to Identify Bad Leaders. This is from Forbes. So they're not looking at church leadership. They were looking in the corporate world because of the effects on a, on a business's culture and a business's trajectory if it has bad leadership. But two of them jumped out of me. They're all very interesting. They're all very helpful as, as I was just thinking through leadership in general. But these two, number two and number six from the list, really jumped out at me as I was thinking about diatrophies. Number two on uh, the identifiers of bad leadership is when a leader fails to lead themselves. A leader who lacks character or integrity will not endure the test of time. Doesn't matter how intelligent, how affable, how persuasive, or how savvy a person is, if they're prone to rationalizing unethical behavior based on current or future needs, they will eventually fall prey to their own undoing. A bad leader is an unethical leader, according to Forbes, and I totally agree. Number six, 
uh, identifier of a bad leader is if it's all about them. If a leader doesn't understand the concept of service above self, they will not engender the trust, confidence, and loyalty of those they lead. Any leader is only as good as his or her team's desire to be led by them. An overabundance of ego, pride, and arrogance are not positive leadership traits. Real leaders take the blame and give the credit, not the other way around. I totally agree with that as well. And that is not what Diotrephes was doing in this early church. So this morning, whereas Forbes is looking at it from a corporate and a business perspective about good leaders versus bad leaders, it translates to all types of leadership, including leadership in the church. Leadership in the church, there need to be leaders who are individuals of character and integrity, and they need to not be given to ego and to pride and to arrogance. So this morning, we're going to look at this text sort of from two angles. The first is, how can we spot bad leaders? How can we spot destructive leaders in the church? And then if we spot them, what are we supposed to do? What do we do if we have one? If we have a destructive leader in our church family, what are we supposed to do? So let's unpack this text together, looking at those two questions. How to spot these destructive leaders and what to do if we've got one. So first, how to spot them. Verses 9 and 10, looking at Diotrephes, says this. John says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So you've got this guy, Diotrephes, who's a leader in this house church there, more than likely in Ephesus. And what he's doing is he's decided that the words that John, the apostle John, are sending do not fit with what he thinks the church should be doing. So he's rejecting what John is saying, the apostle, and choosing his own path, a path that elevates himself as sort of the, as the sole leader of this church. And in so doing, he's starting to shape the church in such a way that the grace of Jesus is being lost in the shuffle. Uh, and you're starting to see a church that looks not like Jesus, but like Diotrephes in the way that it exists. And so first thing I want to note is that the church is not immune to destructive leaders. We all know that experientially. We've all either been part of or seen from a distance what happens when a destructive leader shows up in a church family. So we need to first acknowledge that this happens in the church. So it's not worth, this is not just some sort of, oh, well, we're a First Presbyterian church. First Pres will never, has never, or will never have a destructive leader. We don't know that. And so we need to be aware because this does happen. And it is happening in churches all around the globe. So first, how do you spot a leader? I want you to think about if you're looking for a destructive leader, you need to know what we mean by a leader. And I think John is helping us understand that leaders are a very broad category. A leader is an influencer. Someone who is influencing the life and the activity of others. Who is leading them to live a certain type of lifestyle. Not everyone has that kind of influence in the church at large. But there's, there's two categories of influencers in the church who are leaders. You've got the official ones, like the ones who are ordained or installed into their positions. And then you've got those that are unofficial and informal. And just through relationship, they have a lot of relational capital. And they're able to exert a lot of influence. Only people who have influence in the church, whether it's official influence or informal influence, have the ability to be destructive leaders. But they also have the ability to be constructive leaders. So it's not, the answer here is not to only have leadership in the church that's official and sanctioned because that, that's not how churches thrive. People 
are raised up in leadership, sometimes in official capacities, but oftentimes in informal ways, and it's for the good and the flourishing of the church. So this isn't a, let's make sure all the church is under the thumb of the elders. That is not what John is saying. You'll notice that Gaius is not an elder in the church by all appearances. He's a faithful follower of Jesus in the church. But we can see that Gaius may very well be able to exert influence himself in the direction of the house church that he's a part of. And so John wants him to continue to exert that influence. So we've got two types. We've got formal or informal. Both can be destructive, but both can also be constructive. And I, I want us to understand that we also, in our day and age, you know, when John is writing, most of the people in that particular church only knew their small sphere of leaders. You and I live in a different world. Most of us in here have heard the name John Piper. Most of us have heard the name Tim Keller. Most of us have heard the name of the Pope, who I can't remember his name off the top of my head, so I shouldn't have gone that direction. But you know who I'm talking about. The point being, we live in a world where sometimes we have influencers that we have no direct connection to, that we have no avenue to approach, where the leaders of our church can't get to them. So there is a complexity there. But the principles that, that John is teaching us and teaching Gaius and wanting us to understand, they apply even in our digital global age as we have to figure out how to deal with leaders in the church that may be destructive and they have a blog or they're a talking head or a podcast and we don't even know how to get to them. So we have to be able to, to live in that kind of context and still abide by what John is calling us to. So that's how we spot them. They're these influencers, informal and formal and then second, and most importantly, what are the characteristics of a destructive leader? What are we supposed to be looking for in a leader that helps us identify whether they're constructive or destructive? So first, if we look at verse 9, he's, John says, I've written something to the church. And you understand when John writes, he's writing as an apostle, bringing instruction to the church, not on his own authority, but on the authority of Jesus. Because that's what this letter is. And we're sitting under its authority today. So Diotrephes is not just rejecting John, he's rejecting the authority of Jesus. He's rejecting, rejecting the authority of Jesus, it says in verse 9, and he likes to put himself first and not acknowledge the authority of the apostles. And so what you could say is this is a, this is a man who is prideful and he has authority issues. Destructive leaders are arrogant. Destructive leaders are prideful and they don't want to live under the authority, they want to always be the authority. And so those are characteristics that help us understand, well, this, is, this may very well be heading, this, this man or this woman may be heading down the path of a, being a destructive leader if we see these things manifesting in them. We just went through the process of nominating men and women to serve as officers in our church. We don't want to nominate bad leaders. We don't want to nominate destructive leaders. We need to really know what's going on in their hearts, in their lives, so we can know, is this someone who wants to make much of Jesus or is it someone who wants to make much of themselves and they see an avenue in the church to find, uh, to find power? And the effect of, of arrogant leaders on the church, essentially you have someone who instead of saying, follow me as I follow Jesus or imitate me as, as, as what Paul says, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Meaning, you can understand Paul saying, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. Don't imitate me in everything unless everything matches with Christ. He's saying, you can follow me, you can imitate me in as much as I'm imitating Christ. A destructive leader says, follow me, end of statement. And so we want to watch out for someone who says, who says, follow me, look at me and follow me. We're looking for leaders, we need leaders who are constructive leaders who say, 
look at Jesus and follow me, we'll go to Jesus. Are they taking you to Jesus again and again and again? Do they live submissive to Jesus? A destructive leader ultimately stands between people and Jesus. That's what Diotrephes is doing. He's saying, nope, what's best for these people is if they listen to me, not if they listen to Jesus. Now, he's not saying it in those ways, but functionally his leadership is instead of, instead of him being someone who takes someone by a hand and leads them to Jesus, he takes them by the hand and turns their back from Jesus. That's the destructive nature of that type of leadership. It, it focuses the attention and the hopes of people not on Jesus, but on some sort of human leader to speak with insight and understanding and clarity to the issues and the needs of their lives. When none of us can do that. Only Jesus can. Now, practically speaking, you want to watch out for people who say, hey, I want you to align with me. I want you to do what I say. I want you to do, do what I think is best. And they don't show you why what they think is best is in line with what Jesus wants. In natural conversation, people are going to speak out of their own minds. They're going to speak out of their own hearts. They're not always going to proof text everything they say uh, in reference to what the Bible says about Jesus. But you'll be able to pick up on, is this person expressing their views and their thoughts and their desires for us as an individual or us as a church family because of what they think is best based on what Jesus has said? Or is this coming from someplace else? And then secondly, so we look at pride and authority issues in verse 9. In verse 10, we see this about diatrophies. He says, John says, if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. What's he doing? He's talking wicked nonsense against us. And he's not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diatrophies is a man who loves church politics and he wants to shape the culture to look like himself. He's slandering leaders to undermine their authority. So that by undermining their authority, he can exert greater influence on those who are in his church. That's what he's doing. It is, it is just basic church politics. Somebody's not here to defend themselves, I will plant a seed so that you will think a certain thing about them. And Diotrephes doesn't realize what he's doing is aligning himself against Jesus more than likely. Because we're not told here, you remember John multiple times in his previous letters, he talks about the antichrists. Antichrists are heretics. That's what antichrists are. There's a difference between being a heretic and being a tyrant. Diotrephes is a tyrant, not a heretic. And tyrants will lead you in a way opposed to Jesus, but say things that sound like they're affirming to Jesus. And so what we're talking about right now are tyrannical leaders, not heretical leaders. And one thing I've noticed about myself and about our reform tradition is we are more likely to have tyrants than we are to have heretics. And I know that in myself as well. I don't want you to believe something that's false about Jesus. I want you to believe exactly what I want you to believe, though. And I want to fight for that. And the times in which what I want you to believe is for the sake of Jesus and the advancement of his gospel mission, then that's a good thing to fight for. But if it becomes my preferences, then that becomes a very damaging thing and destructive thing for the church. So I would encourage us, be aware of heresy. Watch out for heresy, but watch out for tyrants as well. So here we have this guy, Diotrephes. He's a destructive leader because he's manipulating people. He's playing the game of church politics and he's cultivating a culture in that church where instead of the church looking like Jesus, it looks like Diotrephes and the people that he wants out are gone. He's manipulating, he's using, he's using excommunication and church discipline to shape the church to look like what he wants it to look like. There are ways that you can look like Jesus and you can be a Jesus-loving family and still excommunicate people because we're called to in extreme cases. 
What we have here is a man, Diatrophes, who's leveraging his manipulation so that the church will interact with itself and with its culture and with partners from other you know, ministry areas in ways that he thinks are best, not ways that make much of the gospel. Church politics and the church culture that he's developing are damaged and destructive. So if we want to spot these types of destructive leaders, I think one of the easiest way to do it is to see what kind of culture are they developing. If I follow them, what are the things that I'll be doing? What are the things they want us to, how do they want us to look? How do they want us to be shaped? Is it going to look like what Jesus desires? Is it going to be full of grace and strong love, which manifests itself sometimes in the forms of church discipline? But is it going to be a culture of grace or is it going to be a culture that reflects the ideologies and the preferences of this one leader? We need to be aware of that because it helps us understand whether or not we're following a destructive leader or a constructive leader. All right, so worst case scenario, let's say you've got a diatrophies. Let's say you've got a destructive leader. What are you supposed to do? That's what we're going to look at now. And there are two responses, good and godly responses, to the presence of a destructive leader. The Gaius response and the John response. Look with me at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. He's talking, John is writing to Gaius specifically. And I want you to think of it this way. Gaius is representative in this text of someone who is a fellow family member with Diotrephes. A fellow family member. But John is writing as a fellow family leader. So there are two categories of response when you have a destructive leader. Those, the responsibility of those who are in leadership when they come into contact with destructive leaders and the responsibility of general family members in the presence of a destructive leader. And they're two very different responses. Gaius is not told, John does not say, Gaius, you're doing a great job following Jesus. Now head over to Diotrephes' house and you put that man in order. And you take some big boys with you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell him to talk to Diotrephes at all. He does not call Gaius to confront that destructive leader in any way, shape, or form outside of living a gospel life that by example confronts the lack of gospel humility in Diotrephes. So the general response in the presence of destructive leaders is for the church family to stay at gospel living. Essentially, that's why I read the whole, the whole letter. John writes to Gaius and he says, Gaius, you're doing great. You are spiritually flourishing. You are showing Jesus in powerful ways because you are loving those who are strangers but are your brothers. You are caring for them. You desire to see Jesus' name made more famous. You know that people that you will never meet need Jesus and you are leveraging who you are and what you have so that they can meet him. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. But then he has this warning there in verse 11 when he says, don't imitate evil but imitate good. And that's because... Even though he's not supposed to confront Diotrephes, this, this destructive leader himself, he needs to be aware of the new set of temptations that come. When you're in the presence of a destructive leader or you're under the influence or there's a destructive leader trying to influence you, what that looks like is there, you, you will be tempted one of two ways, if I were to simplify it. You're either going to be tempted to start believing what they're pandering or you're going to be tempted to fight them using their own tactics. Meaning if you watch someone slander and undermine the authority of John, a natural temptation that presents itself for you is to undermine and slander that individual. And you jump into the church politics, but you feel justified in it. You're like, well, I need to, I need to come to the honor. I need to come to the defense of John. So I'm going to tell people what diatrophies are really like. 
I'm going to really lay it out for them. That's a vicious downward spiral. John says, for the church at large, Diotrephes is a distraction. You do you. You do what Jesus has called you to do. Don't let Diotrephes get you off mission. And be aware, you're going to be tempted to be like him as you try to confront him. Don't do it. Don't fall prey to that type of arrogance and that type of politics. And, and be aware of what kind of church culture you'll be creating. If you fight a slanderer with slander, the slanderer is one. Because the church is a place of slander. And so he says, be aware. Don't fall into that. But then you have John's response. I love what John says uh, there in verse 10. He says, if I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. I'm going to note it. And then he tells us there in verse 13, I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. John's planning on coming to talk to Gaius face to face, and he's coming to talk to Diotrephes as well. John says, I'm coming, and I'm, I'm not going to leave this unaddressed. And so we have John coming in a sense in the, as an official, a formal leader of the church who will address this distraction that is the presence of this destructive leader. And that's leaders who have vowed. And this is how I want us to think of it. That's why we elect our elders. Elders within the church are to be the shepherds of the church. And when someone needs to be confronted because they're being a distraction to the gospel mission of the church, it is the responsibility of the elders to go and address it. It's not the responsibility of everyone. If everyone goes and addresses it, nobody's on that gospel mission anymore. Jesus has called, through John he's saying, there will be leaders who it is their job to go and address it. Let them do it. But on the flip side, if you're one of those leaders, you have to do it. You have to go and confront. You have to get rid of that distraction. And I'm going to remind all of us, but especially our elders and our deacons as well, these are vows that we made when we became uh, officers of this church. Vow number nine was this. Yeah, there's over nine vows. It's a lot of vows. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account. And you said that I do. We did not ask our new members to make that vow. But we ask our officers to. And, verse, and then um, vow 11 says, Are you now willing to take responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder or a deacon and, you, and will you seek to discharge your duties, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that the entire church of Christ will be blessed? And you said that you were. So that's our job. We, when we see the distraction, we must confront it. Because it's not the job of our church family. Their job is to do what Jesus has called them to do. And it's our job to shepherd them and get that distraction out of the church. And then the last thing I'll say about this is you see in the last three verses, or four verses, John says, uh, Demetrius, verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. And I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I want to see you soon. I want to talk to you face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. John is writing to Gaius, and Gaius is more than likely tied up in knots, because of Diotrephes. And he wants Gaius to know, keep doing what you've been doing. Jesus is being glorified in it. You're making much of Jesus as you love and serve on his behalf. I'll deal with this guy. 
You keep doing what God's called you to. And don't forget, Diotrephes is, is drawing a lot of attention, but Demetrius is there. He's a good guy. He's there with you. He says, I love you. I want to be there with you. I want to be there face to face with you. And you know what? The friends here greet you. Greet all the friends there. Do you see what he's reminding Gaius of? He's like, you're not alone in this. Sometimes when we see a figurehead or we see a destructive leader and they're getting so much attention, we feel isolated, alone, outnumbered, and we become overly concerned. And John saying to Gaius, this is going to get dealt with. You are not alone. You're part of this family that Jesus has made you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's given you good, godly men and women to connect with, to draw encouragement from. You're part of a family. Don't forget that. What he's saying is, whenever you see a destructive leader and it starts to unsettle you, lean in on your family. Lean in on your family, encourage one another, keep doing what Jesus has called you to do. Now, as we think about this this. Uh, this morning, we think about these destructive leaders. I do want to, sometimes we're, we're tempted to think, you've probably heard this before, as go the leaders, so goes the church. And in one sense, that is true. But we're talking about leaders, plurality of leaders. The church is not hindered by one destructive leader. Jesus' mission is not hindered by a destructive leader. They're a distraction, but they can't keep Jesus from accomplishing his purpose the church will continue to advance. If our church family here at First Pres, if all of us as elders drank the same Kool-Aid and became destructive leaders all at one time and y'all kept doing what Jesus calls you to do, his kingdom would advance and he would see to it that we got taken care of. We don't have to worry. Destructive leaders are at worst a distraction. They cannot dismantle the religion. They can't, un- they can't dismantle the, the, the gospel A destructive leader has disregarded the gospel. But a destructive leader cannot hold a candle to what Jesus is doing as he's unfolding his kingdom. So we have nothing to fear there. We can have that kind of confidence. And so my encouragement to you is as you think about your life that God's called you to, most of us in here are not called to be in formal leadership. Most of us in this room are called to live a life in a smaller context faithfully. But what we're being told here in this letter to Gaius is, Gaius, as you live your life and your world, your smaller world, Jesus is being glorified. The kingdom is being advanced. And false leaders, these destructive leaders, are being undermined by your faithfulness. So don't worry, you're not alone. And if you want to know what to do, If you want to know what to do when you read on Twitter that another evangelical leader has made a statement that you feel uncomfortable with, that you're worried is a slippery slope, or maybe someone whose books you read from years and years ago suddenly makes a comment and it undermines what you think about that person entirely. You wonder what's coming of the evangelical world, what's going to happen to the church. All of the leaders are beginning to go the way of whatever it is, and you'll feel unsettled. I would remind you that Jesus is telling you through the words to Gaius, There will be destructive leaders, and they will not win. What you can do tomorrow is to worship Jesus and love your neighbor and know that Jesus is winning. And as you believe and trust him, he uses you to that end. We have that kind of confidence. Let's pray.